This is episode 11 of the Mark and Olivia podcast and episode 2 of History Lessons with Professor Berthin. In this episode, we will be covering Bulgaria, the second country of um, my ethnicity, where I'm really from. I think it's, it's that tri-country thing. You have the U.S. where I was born. You have Bolivia, which we covered in the last episode, of course, and Bulgaria for my mom. So Bolivia for my dad, Bulgaria for my mom. But anyways, again, current local time is 11.36, so late night mark is definitely out and about. So um, this should be a fun, fun history lesson for sure. So we'll get right into it because I definitely don't want this to be a long episode for you. Um, so we'll get started just looking at um, Bulgaria as a whole. So Bulgaria is located in Eastern Europe on the Black Sea, um, just north of Greece. Um, it shares borders with Romania, um, Macedonia, um, and uh, Greece. Um, I think I already said that. I Again, late night marks again, out and about. So who knows what I'm going to be saying. I'll probably be laughing about myself and you'll definitely be laughing watching this. But it is located again in Eastern Europe and it is in this peninsula, the 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 Balkan Peninsula, as they like to call it. Um, and it does have access to sea. Um, the Danube River actually even passes through it. That's a, That's a little interesting fact. But again... This this country, um, its official language is Bulgarian. We'll get into like the the interesting part of the language and stuff like that. Cause cause with Bolivia there, it's just Spanish, and of course, there's not much. I mean, there is of course history to it, but it's not as not intriguing. But I don't know how to say it. But it's just not as complicated, maybe. But anyways, I'll stop with the little intro, and we'll just get right into it. So. The capital of uh, Bulgaria is Sofia, and the population is about 1.3 million. This is, yeah, as of 17. So it is a fairly big, fairly big city, um, and it is located in the western part of the mountain, basically western middle, um, closer to Macedonia, and um, almost equally distant from Romania in the north and Greece in the south. Um, but it is a very nice city. I've been a couple times, of course, from visiting family. Um, my mom will get into her town um, of Velingrad in a little bit. But um, she is um, she has also lived in Sofia. They kind of split time. So there's their Velingrad home was kind of their like vacation spot in a way. So they would re- they would mainly live in Sofia. Because that's where all the main infrastructure was and main main school stuff like that. But um, Velingrad was, was, of course, where she was born and basically her, her hometown. But um, some other notable cities in Bulgaria include um, Plovdiv, which we'll get into. It's a big historical city. There's a lot of um, ancient ruins, things like that. Um, and that's about southern. Um, another city is Haskovo. It's near Plovdiv. It's in the south. We also have on the Black Sea a couple towns. We have Varna, which is a big uh, seaport um, on the Black Sea. Nesebar, which I actually went last time. I'll share a little bit about my experience going there um, later. Burgas is another another big one on the Black Sea. That's kind of the trio. You also have another big one, Veliko Tarnovo. This is more center north. Um, there's, there's many, many cities um, in Bulgaria. Um, there's just a couple mountains. You have Mount Fitosha, um, Mount Musala, and Mount Vihren. And these are about 
2,200 for Vitosha, 2,900 for Musala, and 2,900 for Vihren meters. So um, they're tall, but not that tall. But that is kind of in the first leda. And I think the first thing I'm going to do is kind of cover the general timeline of Bulgaria and its its history. Um, so starting in 500 BC, Thracian tribes settle in what now is southeastern Bulgaria. They are subsequently subject. I can't even. This is literally so late. I like won't be able to pronounce certain words. Subsequently subjugated by the Macedonian king Alexander the Great. Yes, that Alexander the Great, and later by the Roman Empire. Then in six hundred eighty one. This is after BC or B. This is after Christ, of course. After BC, after before Christ. Yes, that is English for sure. Late night mark, out and about. So in 1681, no, 1681. Oh my God, you're probably dying right now. It's 1140. And I know you're like, Mark, you should have recorded it in the morning. No, I'm committed. I am recording this now and it's going to be a great episode and informative. It's not going to be my me dying the whole time. And this is already five minutes and I've like barely covered anything. All right, 681 after Christ, the Bulgarian state is established. In the, eight, in the 890s, the earliest form of the Cyrillic alphabet, which we'll get into later, that is the common alphabet for a lot of the Eastern European countries, Russia... All those countries, they share it um, with, with Bulgaria. But of course, the language varies a little bit. So the earliest form of the Cyrillic alphabet in the eight, eight 890s, 890s um, is, is developed, is later versions of which are now used in dozens of Slavonic languages. That's kind of what I just said. And that is created by Bulgarian scholars. So the Bulgarians actually created, I'm actually learning this for the first time, they created the Cyrillic alphabet. What else? 1018 to 1185. Um, Bulgaria is part of the Byzantine Empire, a very famous empire in history. 1396, Ottoman Empire completes conquest of Bulgaria. The next five centuries are known as the era of the Turkish yoke. And this this period in Bulgaria, this is a this I could have my own episode, but the Turkish yoke in Bulgaria, there's so many stories. Um, between 1300 and 1800 of, of what has happened and all the atroci- atrocities. Um, and and, and there, that honestly is kind of the spark of, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a big conflict between Turkey and Bulgaria, but there's still a little bit of a ethnic divide and kind of a rivalry in a sense, and it mainly stems from that. But fast forwarding again, 500 years um, with a Turkish yoke in 1876, so... Um, a hundred years after after the U.S. actually became independent, the Ottoman Empire um is violently suppressed um by the Bulgarians. There, there's an uprising, and then two years later, the Treaty of San Stefano, signed by Russia and Turkey at the end of their war of eighteen seventy seven and seventy eight, recognizes an autonomous Bulgaria. So they're kind of free at this point once again. But that same year, the Treaty of Berlin creates much smaller Bulgarian principality. Eastern Rumelia remains under Ottoman rule. So there's still um, parts of, of Bulgaria, which is which we know today, um, that were owned or um, held by the Ottoman Empire even after that treaty um, and because of the Treaty of Berlin. Now, 1886, eight years later, Eastern Rumelia is merged with Bulgaria. So that's back. That's the thing that was part of the Treaty of Berlin, which we just talked about, which was under Ottoman rule. And then eight years later, it's back with Bulgaria. 
1887, Ferdinand of saxe coburg gotha is elected prince. So Bulgaria actually has a very interesting governmental system. They do have a monarchy, but they also have a president and a prime minister. They kind of have it all. They have princes. Well, they used to. Now, of course, it, it, it changed a little bit. But they had a period of time where they kind of had it all. So now they're still technically a prince and a princess. But they're not really the rulers of, of, the, of the nation. Um, but this is 1887. And then 11 years later, in 1908, Bulgaria declares itself an independent kingdom. And Ferdinand assumes title of Tsar. And now World War One um was an interesting period. So between nineteen fourteen and nineteen eighteen, World War One um starts and Bulgaria actually was on the wrong side, sadly. And Bulgaria, funny enough, has been kind of on the wrong side in both world wars. In the second world war, I bet we'll talk about it. If not, I'll talk about it. Um but um they did they did kind of redeem it themselves, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, Bulgaria allies itself with Germany in World War One, and some 100,000 Bulgarian troops are killed, the most severe per capita losses by any country involved in the war. That's an interesting statistic and pretty sad. Now fast forwarding into World War Two, the Soviet army invades German-occupied Bulgaria. So what happened um, in World War Two? this doesn't really talk about it that much, but um, Bulgaria at first um, was protecting the Jews um and was um against what germany was doing but of course germany steamrolled europe um eastern europe especially um poland all that and they ended up occupying bulgaria eventually and there's so many stories um that i have eventually maybe i can share from my mom's side but of like ways the population there's a lot of stories of, of citizens in bulgaria that when the germans took over of, of, of them helping jews to escape stuff like that so that's another thing um maybe you could even look that up um there'll be a couple things i would i would like you to look up in this episode but um it, it's very interesting some of the stories but anyways soviet army invades german occupied bulgaria in 1944 so towards the end of the war and the Soviet-backed Fatherland Front takes power. So this is almost the start of the communist regime in Bulgaria, which lasted quite a lot of time. Um, so yeah, 1946, the monarchy is abolished in referendum and a republic is declared. And this is, again, Communist Party wins election. Georgi Dimitrov is elected prime minister. So this is 1946. And then here's kind of a page break. It shows Soviet-style state. So it wasn't like communist communist but it, it really was communist so in 1947 the new constitution along soviet lines establishes one party state economy and industry sectors nationalized seven years later ooh, this is a big a very famous figure um in bulgaria todor zhivkov he's very famous um i'm pretty sure he's the one that was assassinated hold on um he was killed maybe i don't know there's there's this one thing there was this president um i don't know if it was zhivkov but he was blown up or he wasn't blown up but he was like executed in the sewer i don't know what i'm saying but there's there's some interesting again with like bolivia there's some interesting presidential things i don't know if i'll get into them because they're not as interesting as bolivia was but there are for sure interesting things and this probably this episode is probably all over the place so i apologize um 
But anyways, moving on, Todor Zhivkov in 1954, this famous figure um, in the history of Bulgaria, um, for not the best reasons, which I, I think I was scrolling, this this timeline does show. And Todor Zhivkov in 1954 became the Communist Party General Secretary and Bulgaria becomes staunch USSR ally. Um, that's an interesting word, staunch. Staunch. Jesus Christ, what am I saying? <laughs> Oh, you're probably dying again. Um, I love you, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. But anyways, Dolor Zhivkov in 1971, so 17 years after that last bullet point, he became president finally. Um, Seven years later in 1978, Georgi Markov, a BBC World Service journalist and Bulgarian descendant, dies in London after apparently being injected with poison from a trip the tip of an umbrella that's like a weird that's a weird thing that's kind of random but i guess a, a funny little th- not funny how's that funny someone died how's that funny <laughs> just a little interesting fact then Todor zhivkov again back back in the timeline in 1984 zhivkov's government tries to force turkish minority to assimilate and take slavic names so again this is kind of the rivalry between turkey um and that's still kind of kind of grudge held because of the Turkish joke between the 1300s and the 1800s. But here, yeah, many resist. And in 1889, not 1889, 1989, some 300,000 flee the country. So that's a lot. That's almost um, a third of the population of Sofia. And the country's population, I think, I think it's in the tens of millions, if I'm wrong. Maybe I'll look this up very quickly right now. Um... But yeah, again, there's that rivalry, and it's even the same thing with Macedonia, um, population of Bulgaria. I'm pretty sure it's in the it's in the ten million, seven million. So actually, not that much, but um, three hundred thousand is a lot of people that fled during that time. And then in 1989, the communist era ended. Reforms in the Soviet Union inspired demands for democ. Dem- oh my God democratization that's a tough word to pronounce at 12 o'clock at night but um Zhivkov is ousted the multi-party system is introduced the opposition union of democratic forces is formed so 1989 the communist rule kind of ends and that kind of syncs up with um everything else in the world in terms of communism so in 1990 there was an economic crisis the Communist Party reinvents itself as the Bulgarian Socialist Party. So this is the start of socialism. Communism kind of ended, but socialism kind of came into play. And the Socialist Party wins free parliamentary elections. And President Peter Mladenov resigns and Parliament appoints Zhelyu Zhelev. This guy is also very famous. Um, and then the BSP government collapses amid mass demonstrations and general strikes. So a little bit of a tough time when it comes to the government and a very shaky time in Bulgaria. Um, that is 1991. 1992, Zhelev becomes Bulgaria's first directly elected president. Wow, 1992, that's kind of late. It's only 30 years ago. The UDF, um... Government resigns and Leiben Bedov heads non-party government. And then back um, in the news, in the timeline, is Todorzhivkov. Todorzhivkov was sentenced to seven years in prison for corruption in office. So this goes back to his time um, in office. He wasn't the best figure. 
Um, so he was sentenced to, to jail um, for his corruption and his crimes. In 1993, mass privatization program occurs. 1994, BSP returns to power in general election. So again, there's kind of this fight for power between the BSP, which is the Socialist Party, and then the UDF um, is the Opposition Union of De- Democratic Forces. So socialism versus democracy kind of is taking place between the BSP, which is the Socialist Party, and the UDF, which is the... Uh, democracy party or the democrats if you want to call them that in 1995 the socialist party um a, a prime minister jean videnov he becomes prime minister um 1996 a lot of economic turmoil um peter stoyanov replaces Zhilev as president a lot of uh of problems with zhivkov zhivkov actually his conviction was overturned wow i didn't know that what else Mass protests in nineteen ninety seven over economic crisis, um, and that kind of ends modern history. Again, uh, there hasn't been. They've been relatively stable. And in two thousand seven, they joined the EU, um, and they're they're a very stable country, and one of the most developed in um Eastern Europe, and one of the the powerhouses of Eastern Europe, in my opinion. But um, that's kind of the, the general timeline. So I think the next thing I would like to cover is diving a little deeper into the history of, of Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria. So the, the, the capital of Bulgaria is the largest city, of course, and it spans thousands of years from antiquity to modern times. Um, and it has been one of the, the, the main points or the main hubs in the in the Balkan Peninsula. So now studied in antiquity, Sophia was inhabited since at least the thirteenth millennium. Um what else? I'm just I'm kinda glancing this page to grab information. The earliest tribes who settled were the Thracians. So again, remember from the from the time on the Thracians were were very early on there in the fifteen in the five hundreds BC um and an area became part of the Thracian Union. What else? In three thirty nine BC, Philip II of Macedon destroyed and ravaged the town of Sophia. Um, around twenty nine BC, Sophia was conquered by the Romans. Um, the city was burnt and destroyed in one hundred seventy after Christ by the Costaboci, and the city was rebuilt. This time with defensive walls. Interesting. What else? Who else? Um, again, part of the Byzantine Empire. What else? There's a lot of ruins in Sofia. When we go one day, there's a lot of ruins dating back from the Ottoman Empire, but um, also from the Middle Ages and, and all of that stuff. But um, Sofia, Sophia is a beautiful city. Um, and a rich history, and it's gone through a lot, again, with the Ottoman Empire, and everything, everything involved with that, so that's a little, a little history of, of, of Sophia, again, I would recommend, there's so much that, um, maybe looking up a little bit, and I'm gonna do this right now, or maybe I'll let, I'll let you do it, but why, well, actually, I'm pretty sure I know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this myself, but I'm not gonna say the reason why, because I want you to look up, look it up. But why is the capital of Bulgaria called Sofia? Why is the city called Sofia? I'm going to look it up just to make sure. 
And then after this, I'm actually going to cover a couple landmarks like I did for Bolivia, some famous places. And then we're going to dive deeper into some language things, some traditions, and then Velingrad. And I think that's how I'll wrap it up because it's already been 20 minutes. But here, this is the answer to the question. Yep, 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 yep. That's, that's what it is. It's interesting. Um, so I would definitely, definitely look it up. Um, I mean, it's not that interesting. It's just kind of a cool thing. But anyways, let's get into some of the top 10 sites. Um, and this, the, the first site here, I have a lot of stories to share about, um, this, this thing, but it is actually a church. And first, actually the first big story. So in Bulgaria and just in Europe in general, I don't know if I've told you this. I I swear I've told you this story before, but of course in Europe, there's a lot. There's a lot of religion. Religion is religion is big. Um, and due to that, there's a lot of churches, of course, because of course, if you have people practicing a religion, you need a place, a holy place to to practice that that specific religion. So in Bulgaria, I remember this is funny. The last trip we went on, which was two years ago, we went start of uh right before sophomore year um and it was funny we went to count we were counting all the churches we had seen not even entered we entered so many um i would say upwards of like 10 20 something like that but just what we what we saw um and we saw at least a couple hundred churches um so it's big so that's kind of one of the funny funny little stories but anyways the first big thing is a church in in bulgaria and it is sophie it is in sofia and it is the alexander nevsky cathedral i would look i would look this up it's a beautiful cathedral um alexander nevsky alexander spelled like alexander nevsky is spelled n-e-v and then s-k-i like ski like skiing i'm going skiing except i can't ski maybe i'll do some cross-country skiing with you this this winter what the heck am i saying it's about to be 12 o'clock um again um i'm in a funny headspace i'm in a silly goofy mood jesus christ you're again you're probably laughing so much right now because i'm making a fool out of myself but it's fun it's all for fun it's all for fun but anyways this church is very beautiful um maybe i'll look up the history actually we'll we'll do a little bit of history i wasn't planning to but we'll add another minute to the to the timer um but anyways the funny story with this is we we've gone several times um and one of the big attractions um in this in this in this cathedral is a finger Yes, it is literally a finger, and it is Ale- It is what is believed to be the finger of Alexander Nevsky, and Alexander Nevsky is a big here. Actually, I think it is important um to to look at the at the at the history. But Alexander Nevsky Cathedral is one of the largest Eastern Orthodox cathedrals. So Eastern Orthodox is a section of Christianity. Um, it is the the section that my my mom practices my 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 mom's side of the fam family practices um that's the, that's what they are eastern orthodox um and ally and this uh cathedral is located of course in sofia it was built in 1877 
um, after St. Alexander Nevsky, Russian prince in the early 13th century. So before the Turkish yoke. But it is believed, again, I'm curious, do they mention the finger? And there's many jokes that me and my dad make about the finger that my mom doesn't necessarily like, but it is rather funny um, involving this, this finger. Um, but yeah, it is believed to be his finger. They have it in a, in a glass box. You'll see it when we go eventually. But we always joke, like, is it going to have magic? It's kind of bad. It kind of is making fun a little bit of religion. But like, um, we joke about like, oh, it's going to like jump out and it's going to start like, moving or something. Or like, it gives you magic powers or something like that. But that's the first main attraction. And then now we're going to talk about Nesebar. So if you remember, Nesebar was that town located on the Black Sea. And um, again, I would look it up. It is beautiful. Nesebar spelled N-E-S-S-E and then Bar, B-A-R. I mean, it's on the Black Sea. We actually went two years ago. Um, when we went, it was beautiful. The one thing, though, about it is... It is very commercialized. So it is it is a beautiful place, but it is just too... They've done too much with it. There's so many buildings, so many things, and it's all actually be done by Russian, Russian... Not mafia, they call it... This is funny, this is kind of Bulgarian slang. It's called Mutra, um, M-U-T-R-A, Mutra, pronounced like that. And it's kind of businessman, businessmen that kind of... not are corrupt but they, they they do money laundering basically and that's how they get their money so that that's kind of all over the place in Nesebar and around the black scene you could kind of tell that that's the case and that is done by the russians but it is a beautiful place but Nesebar itself and old Nesebar um is one of the main attractions in bulgaria I, I when i went i have a couple pictures i think one vlad time i'll for sure show you but it is one of the main attractions Another one is Plovdiv. Plovdiv, um, this is one of the places where they kind of have a mini coliseum. Uh, they have an amphitheater. And this is all from, from the previous times of the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, even going back to the Thracians, as, as we talked about. So those are kind of the main three. There's many, many more um, that I've yet to explore. But it is a beautiful, beautiful country with a lot of wonders wonder wonderful sights um another big one that i that i have never been is called the rena rila monastery um and it is a beautiful site i would also look that up rila r-i-l-a and monasteries monastery of course um it is a very famous monastery in eastern europe there's a lot of a lot of again churches and monasteries but um that's one of the famous in eastern europe next we will dive a little bit deeper um, into where my mom is is from. So my mom was born in Velingrad, and the population of this little town, um, I wouldn't call it a village, but I'd call it a little town, is around twenty two thousand. Um, so a little bigger than South Burlington, but the history of this town, um, it is in the Pazurjik province, um, in southern Bulgaria. Um, it is located in the valley, um, close to the Rodopi Mountains, which is the mountain range where you have um, those mountains that I kind of listed at the beginning. Um, again, those are beautiful. I would actually go back and so look up maybe some of them. I'm telling you to look up a lot of things. You don't have to, but these are just kind of cool things that I can't really show with pictures, of course, since it's a podcast. Um, 
but yeah, the mount is Vidosha Mount, and that's all part of the Rodopi Mountain Range. Um, and we went also a couple years ago, and it was it was very beautiful. But anyways, more into Velingrad. It is the administrative center of the homonymous Velingrad municipality and one of the most popular Bulgarian balneological. Oh my God, balneological resorts, um, which is just short for kind of spa resorts and uh, um water water related resorts because of course i told you this you're going to recognize it and that's how how you actually painted this beautiful not painted you drew this this wonderful little piece that i'm staring at of Velingrad by looking up famous spa town in uh in bulgaria but um again it has a population of twenty two thousand. um it is a very humble town, a very beautiful town, but here's the, some brief history. So it was inhabited by Slavs, um, according to Bulgarian academics. The, the Dragovichki tribe also lived there. Um, they accepted many Thracian, again, customs. Thracians are coming up a lot. Um, what else? The Bulgar invasion of the Balkans um, occurred after the Thracians, and the whole region was annexed to the First Bulgarian Empire. So, um, Valingrad, of course, was part of that. And Valingrad was founded in 1948 after the uni unification between the villages Cepino, Lajeni, and Kamenica, renamed after Vela Peva, a Bulgarian communist revolutionary who gave up her life during World War II. Cepino and Kamenica are older settlements, but Lajeni was founded after 1878 by Bulgarian refugees from Macedonia. Um, and then some geography is that the climate is, I would say it's very much so like Vermont. They kind of have a, not, it, it, the climate has shifted a lot due to climate change, of course, but um, it's very much like Vermont. They do have they have cold winters, but also very nice, nice, um, summers. Um, and then of course, one of the big things is that is the natural mineral water springs. So there are about 90 or more, uh, mineral water springs with curative and preventive properties in and around the town. Um, and the biggest is called Kleptusa. That's the biggest resort. Um, it is the biggest car spring in Bulgaria with an average discharge of 1,200 liters of ice-cold water per second. That's crazy. Um, and there's a funny thing. We've done this. You can take little little paddle boats. They're not, they're not paddle boards. They're like boats. That, they're almost, almost like bicycle. I don't know if you've, done, if you've done this before. But you don't row the boats. You use like pedals and that rows, rows the boat. But we've done that. They have that on on the body of water there in Kleptusa, and that's a beautiful thing to do in Velingrad. So that's kind of Velingrad, and that's the, the town where my mom grew up, and holy, it has already been 30 minutes, so I'll be wrapping up. So the last few things that I want to cover are um, the Bulgarian alphabet, um, the Cyrillic alphabet, and then a couple Bulgarian traditions, and you kind of have heard of a couple of them from my mom, but in AD of eighteen of eight hundred eighty six, the Bulgarian Empire introduced the Glagolitic alphabet, devised by Saint Cyril and Saint Methodius. Um, the Glagolitic alphabet was gradually superseded in later centuries by the Cyrillic script, which is, 
what is now um, used in Bulgaria. And again, I, I, I wish I could show you a picture, so I'm going to ask you to look this up. But again, looking at the Cyrillic alphabet and what it represents um, in, in Bulgaria, you can kind of see how the things are different and how it's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G, yada, yada, yada. You can see how certain things translate to, to, to different things. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know if I want to dive too deep into that because this is, this again could be a different episode and maybe I will dive eventually deeper when I do another history lesson. Maybe we can dive into some language, some language history, but the Cyrillic alphabet is very hard and it is very, very intriguing. And it's one thing again for me to speak to say, which I just said, hello, nice to meet you. My name is Mark Andre. Um, pleasure to meet you. Um, I think I just said pleasure to meet you twice. It's 12.07. I don't know what's happening. It's past my bedtime. Um, but yeah, the Cyrillic alphabet is very interesting. So I would also recommend looking up a picture of that and maybe even looking up a comparison between the Bulgarian alphabet and the English alphabet just to see how different letters um, work um, in, in this alphabet. So that's the Bulgarian alphabet. And then finally, the last thing I want to cover because this is already... 33 minutes this will probably take me two minutes but um it is tradition so you know of course of surva surva which is the one where you tap not hit you tap lightly on the elder's back my mom talked about it a little bit more in detail um at dinner a couple nights ago but um I've actually never told you like what exactly you have to say. So you, of course, you decorate the stick with nature type things. People like to put like popcorn things. They put flowers, other things like that. And then with this, with this stick, you go um, behind an elder's back. Um, and when you say elder, it's basically anyone that's an adult. So again, basically, I've, I'm kind of past my period already. I would say it's not like adult with like 18, 18. I would say maybe even like teenager, like late teen. Early adolescent, that's the way to describe it. But anyways, when you go to tap their back, you say, Surva, surva, vesela godina, domina tuamina. And then you get money. Simple as that. That's, that's, how you, that, that's how you cheat life and you get infinite money. You just be, be a kid in Bulgaria forever. You like create like a band of kids that do that. I just gave you an idea of what to do. This is, this is our new business, honey. This is our business. But that's when, of course, you have the, the banitsa and the bread that my mom was also telling you about, um, where you put the coin and whoever gets it is the, is the lucky one. There's several others. Um, they're a little hard to describe. Well, what's one to be precise? There's a lot of small traditions. It's, it's a lot about like superstition and like, I mean, it's not superstition. I'm not saying like it's bad, but like it's all about kind of faith and, and, and things like that. But another tradition, and this is the t typical dance of Bulgaria, it is called the Horo. Same, similar to the Volta, like in England. Here, I'm going to try to find a couple a couple music um, things. But it is this very fast type music at times. It is um, dance usually in parties, and we have many videos of us dancing Um to them and you actually saw it um i don't know if you remember one of the baby videos with my grandparents they were kind of dancing it we were all dancing it um and it was very like 
that was a terrible, terrible, terrible description. But I'm gonna play a little bit. I'm gonna try to not be too loud because both my parents are sleeping. But I'm gonna let you hear it for a second. So you can hear it's very like fast tempo and you can imagine like very you're like kind of like all together in a circle kind of doing little things and li doing little dances and it is a very uplifting kind of folk music and it is one of the biggest traditions in Bulgaria and I can't wait one day we're gonna be dancing Hodo um, and it's gonna be an amazing time but again I would look up even the dance look up Bulgarian Hodo and Hodo is spelled H-O-R-O -O, basically how it's how it's said. Um, and you could see kind of the dance style along. I mean, you could hear it, of course, but it's one thing to, to imagine how it's danced to and one thing to actually see it. I'm really looking and telling you to look up a lot of things. Again, you, I don't want to force you to do everything, but it is highly recommended. There you go. But that is uh, probably not the best, but the best explanation of Bulgaria because I did do this pretty late. I probably could have done it a lot better but i really wanted to to do it and i think i might think i did a pretty good job summarizing it but that is bulgaria it is a beautiful country and one day we're gonna go visit it just like just like bolivia um um luckily i've been to bulgaria several times in my life to visit my grandparents and my mom's side of the family everyone basically lives there no one lives abroad except my uncle um who lives in the netherlands but that's because he works for that embassy um and that is that. It is 12, 12 a.m. Wow, that is late. It is officially the 4th of um, of August. Today, it's going to be a beautiful day. I'm going to have fun um, going to the art gallery with you, having dinner, then getting your gift. I'm enjoying this day with my friends before tomorrow. No, this is, it's tomorrow now. Tomorrow, I leave for New York to go to the Virgin Islands. But um, enough of getting off track. I love you so much. Um, I can't wait again to travel, not only to Bulgaria, to do all those things and visit all those places with you. But I can't wait to see you today. Now it's today. Um, and I can't wait again. Um, we just had that Vlad time where um, you kind of gave me a little pep talk almost about how this year is going to go. And we're going to be strong together. And I saw your message. Um, I'll respond to it in a second once I once I upload it or up or publish it. But you're truly right. We're gonna we're gonna get over this hurdle and we're we're gonna stay strong together. And again, I'm never leaving your side because you mean you mean that much to me. Um, but yeah, this has been episode eleven of the Mark and Olivia podcast and episode two of History Lessons with Professor Berthin, Bulgaria.